1992, one of what I consider one of the finest movies ever made was created. It's called A Few Good Men. And if you're familiar with that, that movie, it's about a military trial that takes place, and Tom Cruise plays Lieutenant Caffey as a member of JAG. And on trial and in question is the supposed order of an abuse against a Marine. And at the climactic scene of the movie in the courtroom, Jack Nicholson playing Colonel Jessup of the Marines is on the stand. And that question is, what is the truth? And if you've seen the movie, you can help me out here. There's an exchange that becomes very intense. In fact, it's iconic in movie history now. And at one point, as Lieutenant Caffey, Tom Cruise's character, is interrogating the witness on the stand that is Colonel Jessup, he has this moment where he bangs his fist and says, I want the truth. And at that moment, in that great voice, and you can do it with me, Jack Nicholson, as the character replies, You can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. Now, that's good theater, right? It's also a point for our culture right now. We've got a culture that's based around the fact that we're not really good at handling the truth, are we? We, we become very wishy-washy with the truth. We, we get into a spin of words, don't we? We become where if I can nuance it in such a way, I can say something that makes me sound like I'm affirming the truth, but you really can't hold me to it, can you? And you may wonder why we would tackle something like this or why Jesus would stop down on a moment like this in, in this sermon where he's been handling some very difficult topics so far. And one of those topics was sexual brokenness. And if you weren't here last week or you didn't watch it online, you have an assignment. Go back and watch the sermon that Chris preached. We still have it online on our feed. And it addressed this issue of sexual brokenness and what we've done with our bodies. And in the middle of that, he then rolls into divorce. And we're going to touch on that some today. And then he gets this thing about keeping your promises and letting your yes be yes and your no be no. And it's almost like, geez, you're, you're really kind of stepping down in seriousness, aren't you? You started out really dramatic and now you're, you're down to just word games. And I think if you'll go along this ride with me, you'll understand that what Jesus is talking about goes to the very heart and core of a problem that was true then and is still true today. And the followers of Jesus have to do something about it. We have to live in a different way, and he's about to paint something for us. came across two examples that shows how hard it is for us to handle, handle the truth. It's in sports... And one was, happened in 1987 by a man named Coach Cleveland Stroud. And Cleveland Stroud was a coach of the Rockdale High School in Georgia. And in 87, their team did something that they had never accomplished in the history of school before. They went all the way to state, and they won state. And it was a celebration for the small town. Now imagine what it's like when one of our local teams goes all the way to state and the celebration and enthusiasm that occurs. Well, that was covering this town, one high school town. And so they were just consumed with it until a couple weeks later 
a teacher realized that a player that played for about 45 seconds in an early playoff game was of no impact whatsoever to the outcome of the game, was ineligible to play. This teacher brought it to Coach Stroud. Coach Stroud took it to his administration right away. And they gave back the state trophy and awarded it to the runner-up because they had integrity. They knew how to handle the truth. And we look at, at things like that and moments like that, and I have to go back to 1987 to find a story like that. Because the other one that I found was another school... And they had an undefeated football season. Now, that's bragging rights, isn't it? An undefeated football season, but when they got to the end of the season, they were forced to forfeit, not voluntarily, but were forced to forfeit all their standings, all of their records. At Colonel Ritter, a college prep school in St. Louis, because in an opening game, they had a player that was deemed ineligible or deemed he was on probation from actually the season before and he had to sit out a game. And not only did he not sit out, they dressed him in a different uniform number and put him in the game as under a different name to beat the system. Unfortunately, this particular player had some very unique tattoos on his arms. And so photographs of the game revealed what had happened, and they discovered at the end of the season, and they were forced to forfeit. See, we have a problem handling the truth, don't we? And many of us have been hurt by either our own failure or the failure of somebody around you to handle the truth. You had somebody that made a promise, and they dropped it. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a sibling. Maybe it was a business partner and y'all were in it together and you both invested and suddenly promises made were not promises kept and you find yourself on the back end of a bankruptcy. We have problems handling the truth. Maybe you feel like you were promised a spot on the team, but when it came time and the roster was posted, your name's not on the list. You were promised something by a best friend only to have it not come through. You're promised something by a parent. Only to have it be forgotten or denied or walked away. And we've all been impacted somehow by our failure to handle the truth. That's why when we get to this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, and that's what Chris and I are going through together, we're walking through the words of Jesus and we're, we got to say, this isn't a sermon we preach. We're just re-preaching his sermon. And so, even though at first glance, when I look at this, I think, wow, Chris really had the heavy work last week. I've got this simple thing this week. That what Jesus is getting at is at the very core of most of our struggles. Most of our complications in our life. And if we could be a people that come around this idea right now, what, he, what Jesus is going to share with us in just a moment, it would revolutionize things. 
And we're calling this series Heal Our Land because we believe that the way that we live out this sermon, God would enact healing into our land. And folks, November 3rd is coming. And it's not getting any easier or quieter, is it? And we've got groups of people that are struggling to figure out what it means to tell the truth. And how do you tell the truth? And how do you speak honestly and with integrity in a world like that? And what we need to understand is this is not directed, this, this sermon that Jesus is, he doesn't present this to the higher-ups. He presents it to a ragtag group of people on the mountainside that day. And he presents it to you and to me. And to anybody that would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, we need to have some open ears and pay attention because this is important to Jesus. And whatever is important to Jesus, I'm just going to go with that and say that must be important to me too. And so here's where Jesus comes in. If you have your Bibles, I want you to be in Matthew chapter 5. That's where the sermon is. And I really hope you are taking notes and that you are following along and you're writing some stuff down. I'm going to throw some stuff on the screen for us here in a second. But I'm going to go back and start at a place where Chris left off. He touched on this last week. And if you remember, most of Chris's sermon it starts out as a talking about lust and our sexual brokenness and what do we do with our eyes and how do we turn somebody else into an object. And Jesus goes from that into this thought on divorce and then he goes from that into this conversation on oaths. What you need to see is that all of these are linked together. These are not Jesus changing topics as he goes. He's leading us down in a particular path with intention. And so he begins with this feast of the eyes, and what do you see, and what do you lust after, and what are you desiring? And the way that that breaks relationships and hurts people. And then he goes in and says, hey, let me talk to you about some broken relationships. And if Jesus were here, if he were given the sermon again, he would say, look, if you've been through a divorce, I'm not trying to pile on. I'm trying to understand that this is how serious this stuff is that we're talking about. And so, while there's some sexual nature that comes into what he talks about divorce, it is also tied exactly to what's about to follow. And so, here's what Jesus says on that. Uh, I'm starting in verse 31. He gives this teaching. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery. I'm sorry, I'm going to jump down to 31. I'm reading the wrong verse. It's been said... Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, that does tie to the verses that precede it. But please do not think that Jesus puts a big old pause in there and says, okay, now I've talked about that, now I need to talk about something else when he gets to the part we're about to read. Jesus is tying these together because what he's going to say at the base of our marriage struggles is a failure to keep our promises. It's a failure to handle truth. And perhaps some of you know this firsthand. You know what it's like for a spouse that says, I do, to not keep that promise. You've walked that road of pain and you would get up here if you had a chance to take the microphone and you'd be saying, yes, pay attention to this with a lot more passion. 
Because what Jesus is introducing to us right here is a different kind of standard. He's introducing to us a different concept. He's going to talk to us about our promises, but the kind of promise that Jesus is talking about is known as a covenant. That's why he starts with marriage. And it's known as a covenant. I'm going to throw up a definition of what it means for covenant. Here's a covenant. I keep my promise, whether or not you keep yours. I keep my promise, whatever the promise is, I keep my promise. If I'm in a covenant relationship with you, it is me keeping my promise whether or not you keep yours. Everything else is a contract, not a covenant. Don't make the mistake of confusing the two. And Jesus is talking to this ragtag group of people and he says, I want you to change the world by entering into covenants. I want to invite you into a new way of interacting where the truth reigns supreme and you're in a covenant relationship with one another and you go about the business of keeping your promise whether or not they keep theirs. We sponsor a program here, a ministry called Reengage, And it's a powerful marriage ministry. And one of the principles of Reengage is that you, the idea is that you draw a circle around yourself and then the tagline is, you then fix everything inside the circle. See, that's what covenant is. In a covenant relationship, I don't focus on whether or not you've treated me the way I want to be treated. I don't focus on whether or not you've made me happier. I don't focus whether or not you've come through on your part. I focus on the promise that I made and work on keeping that. Now, can you see... Now, if you had two people passionately doing that, they're not winding up in my office for marital counseling. Can we agree on that? I've never had a couple sit down in front of me and they go, he's just too committed. She's way too interested in upholding her promise. I would like a little bit of risk involved. I'd like to be a little suspicious every now and then. That's why this is so important to Jesus. See, it's, it's almost humorous, but when he boils it down, Jesus says that Jesus is laying out a truth that somehow we get so blinded to because we want to deal in shades of the truth, right? That's why with that in mind, listen to the very next thing Jesus says. And you'll see how these things are linked together. If you've got an NIV, it kind of breaks it up for us, unfortunately, because these all go together, but it says oaths right in mine. So verse 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I want you to circle that sentence. Because that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. We're going to come back to that in just a second. Let me deal with the oath part first. 
They've got, he, Jesus unpacks this deal where it says, I don't want you to be making oaths. Now, I know that lots of interpretation throughout history, this means, okay, that some people have interpreted it, means that Christians are never to enter into some kind of oath or, or commitment. If, if that's your interpretation, I have nothing against that. That, however, is not Jesus' biggest point here. That somehow if you walk into a court of law, you can't put your hand on a Bible or make an oath that way. That's not his biggest point. His point is he's picking up on the practice where what people would do is they would try to add meaning to their words. And so what's going on in this day and age is that people would say something to the extent of, I make a vow based on the gold on the temple door. And there's this strange little word game that they would try to play. That if you could find something more valuable, that meant your words meant more. And so what began is, I pledged by the temple, became, I vow by the temple door, became, I vow by the gold on the temple door. I vow by the king of, of heaven. And so suddenly what it is, it's a, it's a means to co-op God into your deal. And we play this game too. I mean, we've got our phrases, and it may not sound exactly the same, but we've got one, cross my heart, hope to die. And it goes on to stick a needle in your eye and some other gruesome stuff. I don't, after death, I'm not sure why you need something else in there, but um, uh, I've heard some people say, I swear on my grandmother's grave. You heard that one? You know, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to claim, you know, I'm not that good of a person, but if you know my grandmother, she was a real sweet old lady, so I'm going to swear by her grave. I have no idea what it means, but we say it. And then he has this interesting one where he says, not even by your head, because you can't make your, your, make your head turn from white to black, and don't you know if we would, we could, I mean, if we could, we would. And he's saying, you're making claims about stuff that you have no control over. You're making promises that you have no ability to even keep. And the way we do this one, I'll be there if I have to move heaven and earth. I can't move heaven and earth. I can barely move my family at times. I can barely move myself most of the days. But see how we make those kind of votes? What Jesus is saying is live a life of such deep integrity that no oath, no promise, not even a stack of Bibles this high adds any more truth to your words. And he says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Anything else comes from the evil one. Do you know what comes from the evil one? The word maybe. Anybody use the word maybe a lot? Yep, see? Maybe. See, in the word maybe, great. The word maybe is like, it's like a free pass. Hey, I'm planning a party. Will you come to my party? And you say, what do I know now that I did not know before? I have no new information whatsoever. But you see how we play the game? It's like, maybe. I mean, we've got on both sides, politicians right now being asked direct questions. And essentially the answers are maybe. I mean, they're not using that word, but that's the deal. Maybe. Because I'm 
not going to be boxed in. And if you come at me with a request or something, you know, hey, will you do this for me? Maybe. Maybe. And what I'm doing is I'm trying to give you, trying to figure out a way to say no. But I don't want you to think ill of me because I want to try to control my image. I want to try to control what you're saying to me. And so I give you this promise, non-promise, promise thing. And Jesus says that comes from the evil one. See how radically different this would be? If we're all about keeping our promises. How, how you know, as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you know, for, for most of us guys, we really have to cringe at the part where, you know, if you look at a woman and that's lust and be real careful, and that's really uncomfortable for us. And then we get into the divorce part, and that's, that's got tangled for some of us. But some of us go, hey, I don't have a marriage, so I'm not, I'm not currently married or whatever, so I'm good on that one. And then we get to this one. And I don't know anybody that gets a free pass on this one. I don't know any of us that do this one really well. And see, here's the hard part about this one is because I can see lack of integrity out the window real easy. I just look at you, I can tell, you know, oh, lack of integrity. It's really hard for me to see my own lack of integrity in the mirror. Because I like to play some word games. I like to give the half-truths. I like to give the maybes, the sort-ofs, the kind-ofs. I'm going to keep just enough room to where I don't have to fess up. So let me give you a couple takeaways and we'll bring this, bring this home. When we're out saying maybe, and when we're confessing, when we're, people are asking us to do something, and these are those small, everyday commitments that we try to make, those promises that we make. I'm not even talking, Jesus is not even talking about the big ones. He's talking about those small ones, everything. Would you, will you, can you? And somehow we're addicted to either saying yes to all of them or saying maybe to all of them. And the problem was, every time I say yes to something, I need to be saying no to something else. Because it's, it's taking my focus somewhere that I have intended to go. And the problem with is this. When we're over-promised or over-committed, you're under-committed everywhere. When you're overextended, it means you're under-committed. When you've got so many different things that you've tried to say yes to, you're really not saying yes to anything, right? We've got some covenants maybe in our marriage. We've got some covenants to our kids. We've got some covenants maybe to a, a, a Bible study that, we, that we're in or some, somebody at work that we're promised to, but yet we're going to keep piling up commitment after commitment after commitment, and we're not trying to manage our commitments in a way. And so what happens is things start crashing into one another, don't they? And they start stacking up on one another. You just kind of want to pull your, pull your hair out. We've got to be okay that be, understand that being overextended means I'm actually undercommitted. That I'm saying yes to too many things. And so Jesus says what? He says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And so here's the next takeaway. And for some of you, this is a gospel message for you today. No is a holy word. Some of you, that's insight, isn't it? No is a holy word. Jesus doesn't say, never say no. 
He says, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. And there's some of us here that we're so addicted to being liked. We're so addicted to always saying yes. We're so addicted to trying to manage our image with everything and try to be everywhere. And what it does, it actually feeds our ego somehow, strokes our confidence somehow, that what we actually need to do is we need to practice the holy practice of saying no every now and then. Not, not to be rude, not in an unkind way. Say no, something else has my attention right now. No, something else has to come first right now. I can't tell you what those things need to be because that's with you and Jesus to work out. But you need to know that no is a holy word. And here's the gospel in all this. The reason that I think we need to get our, our hearts and our minds and our ideas and our lives around this, which seems so simple. And this is one of those things that I mean, I, I was really tempted to walk up here and have the whole sermon that says, Jesus says, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Let's sing a song and we'll go home. But here's the reason it's so critical. And here's the reason Jesus shared it that day on the mountainside and the, what he wants us to walk away with is, your integrity impacts your witness. You want to erode your witness as being a voice and a messenger and a person that represents Jesus Christ, you settle for a low-level integrity. You be the one nobody can trust. You be the one that your words never match up to your actions. And I guarantee you, nobody will be drawn to Jesus based on that. We live in a world that is hungry for wisdom and truth, right? And we live in an age where you have more access to information than any previous age in history. In fact, all the ages combined, if you kind of stacked them on top of one another, nothing comes close to our access to information. What people are not hungry for is more information. They're hungry for truth. And let's face it, most of our sources and our wells that we used to go through and think that's truth, they have been obliterated. And so people are looking for other people that they know that they can trust. And if you want to speak a word on behalf of Jesus and have it land in the dead center of the target, you hold to and protect a high level of integrity. You let your yes be yes and your no be no because that reflects now the covenant relationship that God has with us. And aren't you so glad that God did not look at you when you were lost in your sin and you're crying out somehow, God, will you save me? And God looks at you from heaven and goes, maybe. And what you need to know is that from heaven, God says, yes. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. I want you to read this with me, and if you don't have this highlighted in your Bible yet, I want you to have this one highlighted, and I want you to go with this verse into the week. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. Which is another word of saying, our message to you is not maybe. It was on. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you, by us, and this is Paul writing this letter, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. Once again, was not maybe. Was not we hope. We'll see. God will try. 
but in him it has always been, and look at the power of this word, yes. He finishes this way. For no matter how many promises God has made, this needs to be getting you excited right now. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are what? Yes. yes. Oh, let's do that again. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes. in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. God did not give you a maybe. He did not give you a sort of. He did not, we'll see if this works out. He did not say, if you keep your part, I'll keep my part. Let's see how well you do. When asked, how much do you love me? Jesus opened up his arms. And he didn't cross my heart, hope to die. He took a cross on his back and he laid down to die. And said, yes to you. May we be people that as ones that have received the yes from God, be people that reflect a covenant relationship to all those around. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. My challenge for you this week, I want you to track, pay attention to all of the small commitments that you make and see how many you're keeping. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm so grateful. So grateful that when you look down at me at my worst moment, and I cry out that you say, yes. And you don't give us a maybe, you don't give us any wiggle room, and you bind yourself to us in a covenant relationship. Father, as recipients of that, first, may we be incredibly grateful and in awe that that's how you see us. And then second, may we be people in our marriages, in our places of work, in our business relationships, on our sports teams, in our classrooms, sibling to sibling, friend to friend, coworker to coworker, neighbor to neighbor. May we be people of a deep integrity. May our yes be yes and our no be no. And in that moment, Father, may you get all the glory and all the praise as we model what it is to have a covenant relationship. Father, I'm so grateful for Jesus that laid down his life and in that action said yes to us. To the one that originally preached this sermon, to the one that paid the price for this sermon to come true. It's in his name I pray. Amen.